Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. Uh, here with me is John Goings. He is one of the elders of our church. And uh, he is going to bring the word today. I want to pray for him before he does that. Uh, I have known John since he was in college. Yeah, it's been a while. But you ain't in college anymore, no, bro. No. <laughs> I do like his haircut. Thank you. Though. Yeah. Uh, I've seen God do much work in this man's life. Uh, probably the greatest in the last year. Uh, so let me, uh, let me pray for John as he mm-hmm. brings the word today. God, thank you for your goodness and for your grace. Thank you for all that you've done in John's life. Uh, Most of all, uh, just the way that you sustained he and his family uh, in this last year. God, I pray for great grace this morning. He's got a good word to bring from your word. So I pray that your spirit will empower him. I pray that you will strengthen him, give him clarity of heart and mind. And Lord, prick our hearts and bring us near to your throne. In this time, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. All right. Well, good morning, Life Point. Uh, it is great to see you. I, I always love gathering together with God's people to, to celebrate him and to sing his praises and to hear from his words. So I'm thankful to be, uh, be with you this morning. I pray that our time this morning would be one that would encourage you, that would be fruitful in your life. Um, and just unite our hearts in the gospel of Jesus. And I'm going to begin our time today a little differently. I'm going to recite a poem for you. Now, I should tell you, I am not a, like, art major or creative writing person. My favorite poet growing up was Shel Silverstein. Any fans? Where the sidewalk ends? All right. Um, But I would like to uh, start off with this poem and uh, just read it for you. Uh, It starts like this. As I have gone in there and with my treasures bold, I can keep my secret where uh, and hint of riches new and old. Begin it where warm waters halt and take it in the canyon down. Not far, but too far to walk, put in below the home of brown. From there, it's no place for the meek. The end is ever drawing nigh. There'll be no paddle up your creek, just heavy loads and waters high. If you've been wise and found the blaze, look quickly down your quest to cease. But tarry scant with marvel gaze, just take the chest and go in peace. So why is it that I must go and leave my trove for all to seek? The answer I already know, I've done it tired and now I'm weak. So hear me all and listen good, your effort will be worth the cold. If you are brave and in the wood, I give you title to the gold. So just curious, has anyone ever heard or read this poem? Right there, Dave. Awesome. Okay, the poem was written by a man named Forrest Finn. Has anyone ever heard that name? Okay, that's, yeah, you read the poem. Um, That's okay, there's no reason you should have heard of this man. 
Forrest Finn was a man, uh, he still is a man, he's still alive today, uh, and he, he was an art and antiquities dealer. Uh, and at one point in his life, he was diagnosed with terminal cancer, and he came up with this crazy idea for his family. He was going to load up all the treasures that he had acquired throughout his life into a, a literal chest, and he was going to drive out into the middle of nowhere and literally die next to his treasure and leave clues for his family to come find his final resting place. That's weird. Um, so... Fast forward a few years, uh, he didn't actually die. He, he recovered from his cancer, but he thought it was a, the start of a good idea. So he decides to really bring it to fruition. He loads up his truck, he heads out into the Rockies, he's got his treasure with him, and he buries it somewhere out in the middle of nowhere. And that poem we just read apparently has seven or eight clues to where he's buried the treasure. Um, and then what he did is he published this poem in a memoir. I guess that's kind of weird, too, that he would write a story of himself, a guy that no one knows. Um, he published it in a memoir uh, and printed a 1,000 copies and then sold it in a local store in Colorado. Now, as you may have guessed, since we're talking about him today, he's become somewhat of a viral sensation. Um, the promise of buried treasure can be a very powerful force. And, and his little treasure scavenger hunt has inspired thousands of amateur and professional treasure hunters to head out into the Rockies looking for their fortune. And a lot of them, a lot of them just see it as, a lot of people just see it as good fun, a, a chance to get out in nature, especially the Rockies, that's beautiful to go out and, and just have a little fun with family and friends. There's actually a, an annual festival called the Finbaree that takes place where just people come and gather together as a community and just start hiking, looking for treasure. Um, it's, it's, it's a good time. But as you can imagine, the, this promise of treasure has also kind of resulted in some unpleasant things as well. Um, a lot of anger, a lot of jealousy and and blackmail, death threats against this guy and his family members. Um, and, and tragically, there's been some fatalities of people as people have been out looking for his treasure. So for good and for bad, the allure of treasure can drastically alter our reality. And this morning, we're going to chat about reality. We're going to chat about ultimate reality, in fact, as we learn about a different kind of treasure. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to or flip or scroll or click um, to chapter 13 of the book of Matthew. So for some context, in this part of Matthew, Jesus is right in the middle of his ministry. He's given the Sermon on the Mount and he's traveling around throughout the cities and villages. And, and in chapter 12, we see him healing people and performing miracles and casting out demons. And, and, it, and we see him confronted by the Pharisees time and time again. Um, they see his disciples eating grain in the field and they accuse them of breaking the Sabbath. Uh, a man comes in to Jesus with a withered hand and Jesus heals him. And, and again, they conspire against Jesus, the Pharisees. And a demon-possessed man comes to Jesus and Jesus casts out the demon. And, 
Again, the Pharisees attribute it to something else. They actually attribute it to him casting out demons in the name of a demon. And they demand all kinds of signs from him. All of this is to call into question who Jesus is, to accuse him of wrongdoing, and to just undermine what he, is, he has come to do. So, as we look in, in chapter 13, Jesus begins teaching about the kingdom of heaven. And Matthew's gospel is unique. He emphasizes the kingdom of heaven. There are more references to the kingdom of heaven in the book of Matthew than in any other gospel account. And he, he often uses the, the term kingdom of heaven, but he, he also uses the kingdom of God or just the kingdom. It's a central theme to the gospel uh, of Matthew. So, when Jesus speaks about the kingdom of heaven, he's not speaking about a kingdom that is far off or separated in any way from our reality. He emphasizes in the book of Matthew that the kingdom of heaven is near or is at hand. And he speaks about the kingdom as a reality. So, Again, in our text in chapter 13, Jesus begins to speak in parables to the people about the kingdom of heaven. Now, it's important to understand parables aren't just entertaining stories or helpful platitudes about how we live a good or a better life. They're about specific things. And, and here in chapter 13, Jesus shares in great detail about the eternal kingdom of heaven. So what is the kingdom? We don't have that kind of time today. But to summarize, a kingdom is anything under the sovereign rule and reign and authority of a king. In chapters 1 and 2 of Matthew's gospel, he presents Jesus to us as the king of the kingdom of heaven. We see this in the genealogy of Jesus in verses 1 through 17 of chapter 1. And the wise men who come searching for him in chapter 2 are searching for the king of the Jews. Matthew makes clear that Jesus is one who speaks with authority and intimate knowledge in the kingdom of heaven. So again, we'll spend our time today in chapter 13. We see another great crowd has gathered around Jesus, um, so much so that he has to get into the, uh, a boat there at the lake and kind of shove off from the shore. And he starts to teach them about the kingdom of heaven. And here in this chapter, this is one of the most concentrated uh, teachings of the kingdom of heaven in all of scripture. The whole chapter, a whole of chapter 13 is dedicated to this teaching. Um, there's so much we could learn and discuss, but for today, I do want to focus our time on a specific passage found in verses 44 through 46. Let's read. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found, covered up, then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Friends, my prayer this morning is that we would grow in our understanding of the kingdom of heaven, that we would become more in awe of King Jesus, his work in us and his work for us. 
I pray that we would learn to live our lives in just humble obedience to God's word. And I pray that we would see this morning that the only thing worth giving all of ourselves, our whole life, is the kingdom and the treasure of God. So let's look at our text this morning, these uh, few verses, and, and consider four realities of the kingdom of heaven that will help us in our search for treasure. Okay. Reality number one. The kingdom of heaven is the ultimate reality. So this reality is important for us to understand if we truly want to know who we are, why we exist, and how we are to live. Those are pretty easy questions, right? The kingdom of heaven It's not just an idea. It's not a philosophical playground. It's not a worldview that we ascribe to. It's not some kind of abstract analogy. The kingdom of heaven is where we live each and every day of our lives. All of creation exists, operates, and is under the sovereign rule of God. John 1, 3 through 4 says, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And again, in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 3, it says of Jesus that he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the power of his word. So nothing exists outside the providence, the knowledge, or authority of God. The kingdom of, more, the kingdom of heaven is more real than anything that we can perceive, anything we can understand, or even experience. Here and all throughout the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus proclaims the truth of his very real kingdom. Now, this may seem like a gimme, um, this is foundational stuff. I mean, most of you have heard and, or, or, or read Genesis chapter 1 where it says that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. We get it. But we live our lives in real time. We go through the motions of our day. We have our routines. We fill our schedules. And we often can become numb to the reality of the kingdom of heaven. In fact, we can become more intent on and distracted by trying to establish and build our own little kingdoms. In the book of Romans, Paul writes that, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So no one is immune from exchanging the glory of God for lesser things. And remember, in in, uh, Matthew 12, even the fine, upstanding, religious, spiritual leaders they had exchanged these, the glory of God with us, with Jesus come to do his work. They, they, they exchanged these miraculous uh, 
works that Jesus had done, and they, they attribute them to the kingdom of a demon. So even like, the, my point is to say that no one is exempt from exchanging the glory of God to becoming uh, futile in our thinking or distracted from the reality of the kingdom of heaven. So anything we do know about the kingdom of heaven, God has revealed to us through his word. And he blesses us with ears to hear and eyes to see. Matthew 13, 16, and 17 talks about that. And we need to be reminded constantly of the ultimate reality of the kingdom of heaven. And why does this matter? Why is this foundational for us? Because the reality of the kingdom of heaven, it grounds our lives with perspective. It grounds our existence. It grounds our obedience. It grounds our labors, our leisure, our rest, every, our everyday lives with perspective. In Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve disobeyed God's command, sin entered the world into all humanity and has blinded us to the reality of the kingdom of heaven. And because of our sin, we spend our lives trying to be like God. That was the temptation, right? You can be like God. We want to spend our lives trying to determine what is right, determine what is wrong, what is good, what is bad. We want control over our own kingdoms. We have been deceived by a great lie that tells us, yeah, you can do that. The eternal kingdom of God reminds us and it grounds our perspective that he God, King Jesus, is sovereign over all from, as we've talked about this morning, he has never changed from all eternity past to today to all eternity in the future, God is in control. Kingdom perspective gives us encouragement as we look to the past and the testimony of God's kingdom work throughout all the ages from the great cloud of witnesses that he has surrounded us with to, to herald the good news of Jesus. It gives us encouragement as we look to them. A kingdom perspective gives us strength for today. He reminds us that he is, he is with us and he will never leave nor forsake us. That King Jesus is enthroned as Lord today. And he has empowered us by his spirit to follow him with our, with our lives. Kingdom perspective gives us hope for the future. We know that God holds the future, regardless of what our circumstances are today. In good times, in bad times, in suffering, in persecution, in our doubts and fears, and even in our celebrations and exaltations, in the regular activity of our day-to-day, we know that God <laughs> gives us hope. Yes, the, the kingdom of heaven is our ultimate reality and grounds our perspective to live each and every day um, with our minds set on things above, to seek first his kingdom and its righteousness. So, reality number two that we see in our text today. Treasure exists in the kingdom of heaven. This just got interesting. I like this. 
Um, Jesus kind of sets the hook for us here in uh, uh, verse 44 and 46. He tells us the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure or a great pearl. And we all like treasure, or at least the idea of treasure. Um, And I would submit that all of humanity longs for treasure. Um, We want something better. The grass is always greener, right? I mean, if, if we just had new toys or bigger salaries or more control or more comfort or more time, less suffering, fewer struggles, more pleasure, more space, less conflict, less stress, more security. If we just had these things, then life would be good. That's a great word, good. I remember I attended a worship conference with a, uh, and one of the speakers was a man named uh, Harold Best, and he's a musician and a teacher, and he was a, uh, he, he's passed on, but he was a follower of Christ, um, and he was talking about just the evolution of, of language and words, and he used the word good as his example, and he kind of argued that its impact had been lessened because we've, we've assigned it to so many things that can't possibly uh, hold up under the, the weight of its meaning. So as an example, that was a good popsicle. That was a good movie. That was a good vacation. That was a good memory. Or they have a good marriage. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that these things aren't good, but they aren't all good in the same way, and they aren't all good in the same extent. So the, 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 the definition and the, the understanding of the word good just kind of gets muddied up there, right? The reality is that popsicles melt. <laughs> Movies end, or they release prequels that totally destroy everything good about the originals. Um... Our vacations are interrupted by long bouts of reality, our day-to-day life. Um, And sadly, even our memories fail us, even some of the most precious ones. And yes, good things, even the best things that we hold closest and dearest in our hearts, well, they can become what the Bible calls idols. So we were made to worship, and that's to say we were made to give our li- all of our lives in response to the goodness of God. And when we worship anything lesser than God, when we look to them to give our lives meaning, they fail us 100% of the time. We had a passage from Ecclesiastes. I would highly encourage you to, to look at Ecclesiastes. It talks very much about this reality. And we are left dissatisfied, confused, empty, and bitter, insecure, and afraid when these idols fail us. And we're constantly just going through the cycle of looking for something better, something that will satisfy our longing once and for all. So Jesus here in this verse is telling us that the kingdom of heaven is good and not good in a way that we've kind of watered down, but good in a way that if you go back to Genesis chapter one, when he creates all that we see and know and are, and he looks at it and he says, this is good. 
good in a deeply satisfying, life-giving, soul-comforting, fulfilling, meaningful, significant way, the kingdom of heaven is good. Good in a way that does not leave us wanting. So the reality of treasure in the kingdom of heaven, it gives our lives meaning. Hmm. God is good. Everything we were created for and everything that sin has separated us from and caused us to long for can only be found uh, in the kingdom of heaven. The treasure we are all seeking will only be found with God in his kingdom. So let me ask you, where do you look for meaning in your life? Is it through worldly wisdom, what you can rationalize, what you can observe, what you can experience? Is it through status or or prestige or acclaim from others, what others think of you? How about material possessions, what we can accumulate, what we can purchase with our own uh, might and work? Um, What about physical experience, pleasure, excitement, those uh, adrenaline rushes that we're all kind of seeking? What about in relationships? Do you look for meaning in what other people can add to your life? How about right living, being a good person? So when we talk about meaning and we ask the big questions of life, the inability of these things that I've just mentioned to provide our lives meaning, it quickly becomes evident, even though we're hesitant to acknowledge that sometimes. This doesn't mean that these things hold no value. In fact, we'll talk about that in just a bit. But they cannot, will not, and were never meant to provide your life with meaning. They were never meant to be your treasure. We were created to know God and find our fullest enjoyment to find our greatest treasure with him in his kingdom. So reality number three, acquiring the treasure in the kingdom of heaven costs us everything. This may be part of the part of the parable we'd like to skip over. Um, The cost not only reveals to us what the kingdom of heaven is worth, but it also defines for us the value of everything else we hold in this life. Notice here in our text, there is no ambiguity about the cost. It says that he went and sold all that he has. As Pastor Lane is apt to say, you know what the all means there? It means all, everything. Jesus is never shy about what will be required of those who follow and trust him. Here, Jesus tells us that the kingdom is worth everything and we also learn that the kingdom of heaven will cost us everything. Have you considered the cost of following Jesus? Have you ever thought about what you would have to give to have real treasure? 
Or do you, do you treat God as, as somewhat of a commodity, something we can add to or trade away in different amounts that, that, that help make our life better or to completely sell him off when something more attractive comes along? This reality, the reality of the cost of following and living with Jesus in the kingdom becomes most apparent to us when those idols we talked about are exposed for what they are or when we are confronted by our sin. So we see this in Matthew chapter 19. A young man comes to Jesus, and by all accounts in the, the, the scriptures, he's a good man. He's well thought of. It even says that he has kept the law of God. That's his testimony. Uh, we also learn that he has great many possessions. And he asks Jesus, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And does anybody know how Jesus, um, Jesus responds this way. He says to the young man, if you would be perfect, go and sell all your things and come follow me. So let's be clear. This is the offer for everyone in the kingdom of heaven to consider. Not just selling our stuff. That's not the point. But what does your heart cling to as having greater value than fellowship with God in his kingdom. Jesus challenged the young man. He confronted him with the idols of his heart, with the reality of the cost of following Jesus. And sadly, that man walked away. Following Jesus will never cost us nothing. Accounting in the kingdom of heaven will require every single area of our lives. Luke 9 records the words of Jesus when he says to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? So when you look at your life, when you have added up the sum of its parts, when you compile all the accolades, all the stuff you've gathered, when you've counted up all your good deeds, when the account of your life is brought before the king of the kingdom, let me ask you, what is he worthy of? What would your life look like to give everything for the kingdom of heaven? How would that impact how you spend your time? How would it impact how you interact, treat, and, and speak to others? How would you raise your children? How would you serve in your neighborhoods and communities and in your church? If, if we're giving everything for the kingdom of heaven, how would that impact your job, your recreation, your school? The reality of the cost reveals what we truly believe about the value of the treasure. The treasure of the kingdom of heaven will cost you everything. So all of us are giving our lives to something. The treasures we pursue identify our worship. 
Either our worship is right and costly untoward the king of the kingdom, or we squander our lives and ultimately perish in false worship to lesser things, things that were never meant to be worshiped. And Jesus is telling us here that there is only one thing worthy of our worship. Finally, if you, like me, are feeling a heavy weight, especially in light of what I've been talking about, the cost of acquiring the treasure in the kingdom of heaven, I would say that's appropriate. The Bible tells us that every single one of us has sinned against a righteous and holy God. And we've incurred a debt against that righteousness, a debt that none of us can pay. The cost is too big for us. (laughs) But, let me just say, there's good news. News that promises to to deliver a good treasure in your life. News that makes living abundant life in the kingdom of heaven possible. Dear friends, I would encourage you, please don't leave this place without considering our fourth and final reality. You are a treasure in the kingdom of heaven. Our good and gracious Savior is teaching us, yes, about the realities of the kingdom of heaven. But he's also proclaiming to us his mission as the king of the kingdom. He came to pursue and purchase his treasure. And there is no cost that he was not willing to pay. In fact, the Bible tells us in the economy of the kingdom of heaven, our cost has been handled by the king. He has been merciful and gracious to us. He loves us. We get to experience our treasure through his wonderful gift of grace and mercy in our lives. This has really been the intentional theme of our gathering together since we first started meeting as a church. Uh, in, in every gathering at LifePoint, we want you to remind you of how deeply loved and how deeply treasured you are by the God of all creation. King Jesus is the fulfillment and the expression of God's love for you. And he is our treasure. Jesus loves you. He has given everything to purchase you. (laughs) And what good news, our worth is defined by what it cost him. So let me just close briefly. I'll ask the worship team to return. Our greatest treasure is being treasured by Jesus. True, abundant satisfying real life can be simple can be had simply by repenting of our sins and believing that Jesus is the sovereign Lord and King over his kingdom and our lives by believing in your heart the cost for your sin has been fully satisfied in the life death and resurrection of Jesus you can have treasure in God's kingdom. This is the reality. This is the testimony of God's word.
Do you believe it? Do you believe that for the joy set before King Jesus, he humbled himself? He became obedient to the will of the Father. He was crushed on the cross by the full weight of God's wrath against our sin, paying once and for all the cost, the price that we owed for our sin against God's righteousness and justice. To the follower of King Jesus, I want to remind you and just say to you this morning, you are greatly loved by Jesus. You are treasured. Live in light of this reality. He is your treasure and he is worthy of all of you. I would encourage you to seek God in in prayer and ask him to reveal to you where you are struggling to live as a treasured possession of Christ. Ask the Holy Spirit to empower you to let go of anything and everything that is stealing your worship and robbing you of the treasure of knowing Jesus. And for anyone who has never known life in relationship with King Jesus, I want to say to you that you are greatly loved. You are treasured by Jesus. The king of the kingdom has given his life. He has given everything because he values you. He wants a relationship with you and he treasures you. The book of Romans tells us that if we turn away from our sin, that if we confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord and that God has raised him from the dead and exalted him as king of the kingdom, then you will be saved. Friends, this is my prayer for you this morning, that you would know the treasure of the king of the kingdom. Let's bow our heads and pray.